Today from the Global Lane, designating a left-wing American group as terrorists. Is Trump's plan for Antifa a good idea? You're burning the barn to roast the pig. And the latest on Crossfire Hurricane. California churches defy Governor Newsom's restrictions. The Supreme Court says keep them closed. George Floyd riots, the impact on black neighborhoods and the U.S. economy. Embracing biblical principles. What did Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. say about riots to affect change? And it's all right here on The Global Lane. President Trump is taking aim at George Floyd protests turned violent. He says he'll step in with federal troops if state and local officials fail to act to stop the riots and the agitators behind them. I want the organizers of this terror to be on notice that you will face severe criminal penalties and lengthy sentences in jail. This includes Antifa and others who are leading instigators of this violence. The president and U.S. Attorney General William Barr say they're planning to designate Antifa, the left-wing anarchist group based in Portland, Oregon, a terrorist organization. Now, what will that mean for the United States and Antifa? Is the designation justified? Well, joining us is former assistant federal prosecutor, author John O'Connor. John, thanks for being with us. I'm assuming that you support the domestic terrorist designation for Antifa. Why? Well, I do support it. But let me tell you this, and I'm a little measured about it. Even though I support it, I'm not a big fan of Antifa. I think uh, you're burning the barn to roast the pig. I don't think you need to do it. I think if they are doing this in order to take advantage of some of the anti-terrorist laws, uh, which are created by statute, uh, I think you've got to show more of a foreign nexus to the organization to enable to use those tools. So maybe they're a terrorist organization, but I'm not sure where that gets you. The organization uh, began in Germany. Antifa started in Germany, anti-fascist. Well, yeah. Now, if they are still connected, and I guess I'm not sure about the organization, and of course I should defer to our brilliant attorney general. Uh, if it is part of a foreign group that is uh, engaging in terrorism against the United States, then yes, then he, then it is valid. They should be studying the videos, and I'm sure they are. And to the extent they can locate any Antifa members, and then to the extent they can get emails and phone calls linking up various Antifa uh, members and the hierarchy to these demonstrations, I think they have one heck of a conspiracy case. And I don't think Attorney General Barr would do anything unless he thought it would be successful. So the fact that he's doing that, uh, to me, heartens uh, me. You're talking about surveillance and listening in uh, to the Antifa people. Shifting gears a bit, let's discuss that newly released FBI document that sparked the crossfire hurricane investigation and surveillance there. Now, some Trump supporters, others say it proves there was no justification, no evidence for obtaining a FISA warrant and spying on the 2016 Trump campaign. So please explain to us, John, the significance of that FBI document. There are two aspects to this that I think we ought to look at, perhaps three. One is all the FISA abuse. And clearly there was FISA abuse in the sense that we now know that the court was lied to multiple times in multiple ways. And everyone who is responsible and had any idea of the falsity 
and that is to say the concealment in the presentation should should be prosecuted. The recent documents about Flynn and especially the memo, the Susan Rice memo from the meeting in the Oval Office are striking to me, some of the recent uh, documents, including that memo, because it shows there was a, uh, an obstruction of justice by James Comey, at least, and perhaps, and others knew about it that were in that Oval Office meeting, they, were, they knew he was going to obstruct justice. The Rice Memo talks about those normal, quote, law enforcement, unquote, investigations. Nothing is going to change as to the way the Obama administration was going to treat the incoming Trump administration regarding those normal law enforcement investigations. Those are attorney general investigations. Those are the ones that were done by the book. As of Now, there's another form of investigation called the national security or counterintelligence investigation. That's what the Russia collusion investigation was. There was no criminal investigation open at the time. And even the investigation of Flynn was a counterintelligence investigation. Now, those investigations are the investigations not of the attorney general, but under the Constitution, they are the investigations of the president and his national security team. They are part of his national security duties as commander in chief under Article Two of the Constitution. The whole notion of that memo was that Comey was going to withhold information about that investigation from Trump and the incoming team. It is unclear where everybody in the room was as to that, but they knew he was going to do it because the information was, quote, sensitive, unquote. At least he was threatening to do it. Now, fast forward. Uh, normally, that information is conveyed before January 20th to the incoming team. But it doesn't have to be. If Obama wants to, he can violate norms and not give it to Trump. It's not illegal. After January 20th, that is Trump's investigation. So what does Comey do? One of the first things he does is he sends Andrew McCabe over with another agent to interview Flynn in the White House. Sally Yates is flabbergasted. He, she tries to stop him. Comey says, too late. He's already gone. What we know then is that Comey and McCabe are going to talk to Flynn, who is one of the heads of the investigation. He's the national security advisor. It's his investigation along with the president's, and they're withholding information about it. So they're not only violating ethical norms, I think they're obstructing justice. And I would like, because they are concealing information from the head of the investigation, the same way Richard Nixon was kicked out of office for concealing information from his own FBI. Now we have people who leaked classified information. We know that happened. They were trying to trap Flynn by leaking things to scare him so that he would lie. There's some indication from the stroke tech uh, page uh, text that uh, the CIA was leaking like a sieve, they say. Probably Comey and McCabe were maybe some White House people. So we have a whole battery of wrongdoing here and it is sickening. It's more and more of a rat's nest every time we get a new disclosure. Okay, we'll see where this all goes uh, with John Durham and his investigation. Former Assistant Federal Prosecutor, Attorney John O'Connor. John, thanks for being with us again. We appreciate it. It's great talking to you.
On a 5-4 to four vote, the United States Supreme Court recently rejected an appeal against California's restrictions on church gatherings during the COVID-19 crisis. A church in San Diego said Governor Newsom's restrictions infringed on religious freedom rights. But Chief Justice John Roberts and the court's four liberal justices say the U.S. Constitution entrusts, quote, the safety and health of the people to the politically accountable officials of the states to guard and protect. In other words... The governor can keep California churches closed. Well, joining us is the founder of Bikers for Christ and pastor of Rushing Wind Ministries in Oceanside, California, Fred Zarikny. So tell us, have you been holding parking lot services at your church despite the governor's order? Yes, we have. Um, just to uh, give you a real synopsis of what took place, you know, when, when we heard that churches... We're going to be allowed to open in three to six months, which sounded ridiculous to me. Um, we went ahead and decided to have our first service on May 3rd, uh, contacted the landlord, contacted the mayor, counted, contacted the county supervisor, just to let everybody know what we, we would be doing. We, we discussed it with my board. Uh, we decided that we were going to do a drive-in slash ride-in church service, invite everybody in the community. Um, the first one was a little bit out of control because we had set the chairs just up against the building. People came, took their chairs, put them wherever they wanted. And so there wasn't the social distancing that we had hoped for. So the next service, we set the chairs up for them, six feet apart, uh, told people that if they wanted to wear a mask, they could. If they wanted to stay in their car, they could. It was completely up to them. So uh, we also opened up our building and we put a red cross on the floor every six feet so that people could walk in socially distance throughout the building, see what the building looks like. Because we were just, you know, it was so ridiculous that 7-Elevens are essential, abortion clinics are essential, vape shops are essential, and it just... I mean, it just seemed kind of crazy to me, the liquor stores, everybody else, the big box stores, where people are a lot closer together than what we were doing. And I just said, you know what? We need to obey God rather than men sometimes, as the apostles, you know, so eloquently shared in the book of Acts. Tell us about that Pentecost Sunday service. I know that uh, some pastors, 1,200 actually, sent a letter to the governor prior to Pentecost Sunday, May 31st, saying yeah, it, they would open their churches regardless of the governor's shutdown. So what happened? Any fines, arrests? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I know that the church in Chula Vista um, went through a lot of drama. They appealed to the Supreme Court. Um, I, I personally don't, don't know of other pastors in California that actually got arrested. Um, you know, I was waiting for whatever was going to go down. Okay, and you know, like I said, we weren't trying to cause any trouble with anybody. We had Oceanside Police Department drive back and forth above our parking lot. And you know, they just drove by. I almost felt like asking everybody to wave. We didn't do that. But I mean, they didn't bother us at all. I have not been arrested. I have not been cited. None of the above. And of course, we all have attorneys if that takes place. Um, 
our our ministry put together bail money just in case. But you know, we have we haven't hit been hit with any of that. I have a close friend that's from Maine, and his name is Ke- Pastor Ken Graves from Calvary Chapel of Bangor, Maine. He actually got cited, um, and his entire church said, "We're practicing civil disobedience. We are gathering peacefully. We're not causing trouble." And I'm going to quote him because, you know, the the reporter said, well, what will you do if law enforcement shows up? He said, and I quote, I will go with them. (laughs) Let me ask you this, because a lot of people say, look, uh, you know, even the Bible tells you to honor those that God puts in authority over you, members of the government, our government. So what do you say to people who say you're not honoring the government by opening? Well, here's, here's what I would say. When the disciples were told to not speak in the name of Jesus. Then they had a decision to make. Okay, so, you know, Governor Newsom actually adjusted his tyrannical, draconian edict on Memorial Day, and then he said that churches could open at 25% of their capacity, but it was limited to a, a maximum of 100 people. And so the other churches that are much larger than ours, if we opened inside our building at 25%, we would have been at about 30 people, okay? That still leaves 75% of the building that is wide open. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, we can actually do better in the parking lot. Fred Zarizny of Rushing Wind Ministries in Oceanside, California. We're out of time, but thank you for joining us. The chief economist at Moody's Analytics says it looks like the U.S. recession will last only three months. Mark Zandi says, of course, that's barring a second wave of the COVID-19 outbreak and contingent on the government providing additional help for people and businesses. That would make this the shortest recession on record, but also one of the most severe we're here to set us straight on this is Art Alley, founder and president of Timothy Plan. Art, it's good to see you again. So 2.8 million jobs were lost in the U.S. in May, and that is significantly less than the 9.3 million, I guess, that was expected. So do you agree with Mr. Zandi? Oh, man. Uh, Gary, I used to have all the answers. I don't even know the questions anymore. Uh, you know, they keep throwing stuff at us, but I, I think he's right on. Uh, if the evil contingent that are, uh, I mean, they're dying to take this nation down. If they would just go away, uh, we would recover in a couple of months. I mean, people are going back to work. We are headquartered in the state of Florida. We're pretty well almost fully operational now. Uh, Now, that doesn't say the other states with the, you know, the blue states with the the, uh, dictatorial leadership uh, is going to come back that fast. Uh, It's just hard to say. We were clicking uh, on all cylinders before all this hit. Well, that was definitely Uh, better news than expected on the jobs. Now, first it was COVID-19. Now, Art, it's rioting in major U.S. cities. Now, what kind of impact do you think all of that destruction will have on the economy and those inner city neighborhoods? Well, definitely the inner city neighborhoods are, are really hurting right now. The businesses in those neighborhoods are really devastated right now. Uh, The impact on the overall economy uh, probably isn't going to be 
quite uh, uh, that severe, but it is tragic. I mean, people are destroying the and these are not the people living in those neighborhoods. These are outsiders coming in in a very coordinated uh, effort to try to uh, really disrupt and take down America. And Art, you had talked about many businesses starting to reopen, things going pretty strong there in Florida. Here in Virginia, we're moving into a phase two, which allows restaurants to open for indoor dining at about 50% capacity. Now, some states are ahead of others on this. Will states like Michigan, California, New York remain entrenched in recession for a much longer period of time? What do you think? Well, I mean, they sure do. And I keep telling people, if I lived in one of those states, I'd move. I mean, we live in Florida. Uh, we're doing well. We are proving all the naysayers wrong. Uh, the fact that uh, our governor opened things up, uh, one of the earliest in the country, uh, understanding that we're not stupid down here in Florida. Uh, we, we do be careful. Uh, if you're not feeling well, you don't go in crowds. You know, the blue states are, are going to suffer for a long time if they keep this up. Uh, but thankfully, in Florida, uh, I'm not saying Florida is isolated, but we're very fortunate to be here. But the rest of the country uh, is waking up. Uh, there are pockets that are not. And how in the world the people in those states continue to elect inept leadership when it is so clear uh, to any thinking person that this does not have to be like this. I don't know. Uh, but as far as the economy goes, uh, to live in a spirit of fear, uh, which is one of the most uh, powerful forces uh, that people react to, uh, and it shut us down from the best economy in my lifetime to instantly uh, being underwater uh, across the country, it shut us down. Uh, we are reopening. Uh, the, the economy is so big uh, that no one thing like this can possibly derail it for very long. Uh, we are poised for a great recovery. Uh, how long it will take is very difficult to say because, you know, the other side just keeps throwing roadblocks in the way. Okay, light at the end of the tunnel. Art Alley, president of Timothy Plan, thank you for setting us straight today, Art. Oh, man, thank you so much. And if I know anything, it's that I don't know anything. But thank you so much. I do have opinions, though, Gary. And my wife says I am frequently wrong, but never in doubt. She must know my wife. Okay, Art, thank you. <laughs> God bless. Okay, thank A quote from Dr. Martin Luther King is making the rounds on social media, and I was asked to weigh in. Here's the quote. It's not enough for me to stand before you tonight and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without at the same time condemning the contingent, intolerable conditions that exist in our society. These conditions are the things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get attention. And I must say tonight that a riot is the language of the unheard. Pastor King did not support violence and rioting. He was not an advocate of that tactic. Whenever Dr. King's niece, Helvita King, appears on this program, she encourages racial unity. We all bleed the same color, she says. We belong to one race, the human race. Mrs. King said, quote, Martin Luther King preached love, not hate, 
peace, not violence, and universal brotherhood, not racism. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend, he said in 1963. Well, folks, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating violence, but what do we expect to happen after many young people were shut in for three months? Many are without jobs, with nothing better to do. They turn to social media and television to occupy their time. They suddenly see an injustice played out continually. Pent-up anger and frustration over COVID-19 and ongoing injustice and racism in our society cause this violence. Like Dr. King, I'm not advocating rioting, just explaining why it's happening. President Trump recently left the White House and took a stroll through Lafayette Park. His walk happened just hours after rioters had raged out of control there, threatening the White House. The president sent a message, America is a great nation and we will not allow an insurrection to destroy our country. He stood outside the historic St. John's Church, where presidents have worshipped. George Floyd rioters had set the church nursery on fire. Now, this is where Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican president who freed the slaves, knelt and prayed for divine guidance during the Civil War. This president held up a Bible as if to say, America will stand on God's word. And what does God's word say? Love one another. And Jesus calmed the storm by speaking the words, peace be still. We too need to calm this storm. And that can only happen through love and calling on the man who stilled the waters, the only one who can bring true peace to America. So let's pray for unity, more love, and peace. But there also needs to be justice. Let's not forget that although people act unjustly, ultimately God's justice prevails. And we must forgive people despite their unjust acts. Yes, even former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin needs forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, we're told, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So America, yes, seek justice peacefully, not only for George Floyd, but for people who have lost their lives in the riots, like 77-year-old retired police officer David Dorn of St. Louis. Shouldn't we also be outraged at his senseless killing? Let's also seek justice for shopkeepers who've lost their property and lifelong dreams. Let's forgive, show love, and unify as one nation under God. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.